Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another edition of the Rope Report podcast. It's your old friend here, Connor, back from my first one in a long time after working for the football club. And we're here today with former Sunderland manager and Chelsea legend as well, Gustavo Poye. How's it going, Gus? Nice to be with you. Everything all right? Just waiting now for the last few games of the season, European games and some playoff games and, uh, you know, pay attention to next season. And what are you doing these days? Well, I've been preparing to to get back in the job. My first idea was to come back to England. Uh, I have to be honest, like I am, it's been a bit more difficult than I expected. Uh, there's been some uh, decent and common sense, um, you know, situations, but others that sometimes you know you don't understand because football is changing and, and the ideas of the clubs they are differently and. Uh, you know, every situation is different. So if you try to be nowadays in any job, and football in particular, too selective, at the end it becomes uh, very, very difficult to get the, the job that you will prefer. So before we start talking about your time as Sunderland manager, I want to begin talking about your experiences playing against Sunderland. So there's there's two that stick in my head. One's a negative for Sunderland, which is the day you beat us 4-0 on the opening day of the season. But the other one's a game in December 1999 where Sunderland actually beat Chelsea 4-1. You did score the Chelsea goal that day, but you got any particular memories of them two matches? Well, the first one, obviously, uh, for two reasons. One is first game of the season. I know that people will always remember that my last goal, the kind of scissor kick or whatever yeah. it is, because it was special. But I have to be honest, I, I obviously, I do remember that one. But for me, it was more important the first one of the four. You know, when you start a new season at home, you want to win, you, you want to convince, so... To open the score early in the first half is always very, very important. And to be, you know, the man scoring the first goal as well, it's always bringing, you know, the responsibility in the team. Obviously, the fourth, it was, you know, <laughs> it was the, 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 the last bit of things for a great, great day of, you know, starting maybe too early for goal of the season, first game 
of a new season, but, but a very special one. That kind of brings you to, you know, there is a moment in football where you need to start enjoying because you, you play the game seriously and you play the game, you know, with other responsibilities. And sometimes when it's too tight, the game, there is not too many people laughing or too many people enjoying because it's tension. Obviously, that for goal brought plenty of people, you know, showing happiness and, and enjoyment. So it was a good day. Second one, tough. One yeah. of the worst fair half uh, moments I had in my career as a football player. Uh, for people to remember, we were losing only 4 nil at halftime. <laughs> and uh, and, it, and it, was, it was good because I learned a lot that day. I learned from the manager, uh, remember Gianluca Viali, uh, no speaking too much, but kind of meaning, okay, all the best, use, you know, 11, go back, you go 45 minutes to go. Like saying, you put us in this situation. Let's see what you do in the second half, you know. Uh, I think at the end it has to make a change. I think John Terry came on for the side for I don't remember exactly who, but the idea of the manager was to leave the same 11 players uh, to get really embarrassed yeah. <laughs> in the second half. So I remember a small meeting between the players at halftime in the tunnel just saying, you know, let's try to win the second half. You know, let, let's try to to forget about what happened because it was tough and it was incredible for Sunderland. But for us in there, it was about pride and about doing something proper and not losing six, seven, eight nil. And we went back, let's say, um, okay, I scored a goal at the end, but uh, you know, to, to kind of make up the result. But it, it was about the, the worst of all. Sunderland had a, a kind of situation after the games that they were giving a a bottle of champagne for the man of the match, the local, no, the Sunderland mm-hmm. player, but also one for the away player. Uh, and I, I thought it was a joke because, I mean, being in the situation that I was at halftime and coming someone from Sunderland telling me that I need to go to one of the restaurants to pick up a bottle of champagne for being man of the, ma- man of the other team, the opposition or whatever, you know, like you're thinking, this is a joke. I don't like it. You know, somebody's doing a- Something to me, but no, it was true. I had to go to this room full of people uh, eating and, and and drinking and and just jump on top of a stage and get a bottle of champagne and put my head down and leave as soon as possible. So, yeah, it was a a very strange day that one. At least you had something to drown your sorrows with on the long trip back. <laughs> yes, well, no doubt. I mean, those those trip backs is the one that you you learn because you ask yourself plenty of questions. The uh, in, in that particular team of Chelsea, we were many, many characters that after, afterwards we were managers, which uh, it make you talk about the game, uh, discuss things, many things um, about the coach or about the decisions or about yourself, about the shape, about the, the opposition, about the approach. You know, so many things that you, you talk to improve because you don't want to get, you don't really want to get through another situation like that one so uh, we were a, a special group and and probably help us you know to to get better okay so let's go to the start of your time at Sunderland October 2013 nearly seven years ago now quite unbelievably but you're announced as Sunderland's head coach two-year deal just after we'd sacked Paolo De Canio obviously but how soon after Paolo's departure were you contacted by the club to see if you were interested 
Well, we, like uh, you were doing in an easier manner of those times, because now we change a little bit the approaches. Uh, we apply, we put the name. I don't remember exactly the days. Sorry, boys, I'm, I'm getting old. Uh, but a few days later or a week later, uh, the, the owner called me into his house in London. And I, I met him for the first time, Mr. Eli Short, at his house in London. And we had a good meeting. And then, obviously, two or three days they went past. And then we had another meeting in a restaurant uh, with my agent. And we started talking about the possibility and the negotiations. Then is when I tried to leave. You know, I don't like to be present on negotiations, uh, financial negotiations or any negotiations. Because, obviously, there is certain things about yourself or about other managers that I shouldn't say, so it's not up to me to say it. That's to your agent, you know, uh, comparing clubs or comparing managers or situations to, you know, come to a decision in the in the contract. So I left and they finished the negotiation and then they called me. I think it was the day after we lost, uh, you know, we lost the last two with uh, with a caretaker. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, and uh, they called me after the second game. I think it was Arsenal and Manchester, so they were two tough games. And they said to me, okay, we need to go ahead with this. And we negotiated the last bit. And uh, I think it was a Monday night that I drove up with my staff in the car and we got to the training ground very late that day and we started the, the next day. So was that a negotiation mainly with Ella Shaw? Or did you have much contact with Roberto Defani? To, to be honest, I suppose that ninety percent was with Ellie Shaw. Probably uh, Roberto was involved in certain uh, tactical and you know possible information uh, phone call I had with him, and then obviously when we got there, it was it's always something left for the last minute. You don't know why, but <laughs> it's always happening in negotiations. And we met and we, got, we had a good chat, you know, to finalize everything. And uh, it was good. I mean, for you to know, there were many, many people telling me, don't, mm. don't go. It's too risky, uh, too many issues. But I knew that to get into the premiership, you know, I would need to take a risk. I would need to believe in what I was doing. And, and okay, the less risk possible, but <laughs> that was the best opportunity at the moment and the only one. So... I was no no afraid of whatsoever. I was convinced. I was coming from four years in a club where everything worked very well. In your opening message to the fans, you said that I look forward to proving my ability to the fans. I want them to believe because we need to stick together. How important was it for you to get the fans on side as early as you possibly could? Did you look at them as a mechanism to build momentum? Well, I, I wanted them to know me for myself and not for what people were saying. I wanted them to know that uh, every club move in a certain direction and sometimes things that happened in the past, you need to move on and there is new things, different things. I don't think you can say this is the right way to play football or that one is the right way. There is different ways of playing football and be successful. It's, it's just a matter of how the coach, the manager convince a group of players that it's possible and the players, they got the ability to play that system. Obviously, I was checking a lot on the whole squad, which was big and very new for English football. I think the Caño signed 14, 15 players, I think, that summer. So, uh, you know, when you're a new player into a new club and you start that badly, obviously you're confident and everything around you is, is not the right, in the right place. So we needed to work a lot in the mental side and, you know, saying, well, we start from zero. And 
it, the only thing that helped me a little bit was International Week. So I had two weeks at least to train before playing the first game. What was the expectation when you came in? Did the did Ellis say to you that he expected to survive, or was it a case of trying your best to survive, but ultimately you were there longer term, even if they got relegated? Well, no, no, because um, one of one of important part of the negotiations, uh, obviously, too many things you cannot disclose, but this is a a simple one. Uh, I, I signed two years, but with the option for the club that if we were getting relegated, they could let me know, let me go for, for free. So no, no, no pay me the second year. Okay. Uh, obviously being myself, I put a contract close saying, okay, if I save you, I can leave as well. And I don't do the second year, you know, exactly the opposite, uh, which the club agreed uh, with any problem. So we had that kind of seven month trial, you know, like, to know each other, to know if it was the right way to go forward and many, many things. And uh, I find it natural. Uh, obviously, you would like to sign without any any closes. But uh, again, I repeat, for me, it was a challenge. It was a, a great opportunity to get in the Premier League. And I knew what I wanted to do with the players that were there. And, uh, you know, at, at that moment in time, I, I didn't see that close as a, as a problem at all. Uh, so... Uh, Depending how you take it, you can take it that they were trying to know me or you can tell me, okay, if you save us, you will stay. If you don't, maybe we get rid of you. It wasn't a problem for me. Uh, absolutely no no problem because uh, I always say that, you know, when, when it's a doubt, give me one year. Give me one year and at the end of the year, let's see who is in a better position. If you or me, you know, like uh, it works both ways, no? If, if you do very, very well, then the club is in a difficult position because now you can go. So it's, it's depending on how much you believe in, in yourself. So we'll we'll look now at sort of the first season you were there and we'll start with actually the first training session. So what was your assessment of the squad on that first day at the Academy of Light? Well, I think it was uh, too big for what I like. Like I said, too, too many new players, which is, it could be great to, to make people, you know, be in their toes because these new people and they can take your place, blah, blah, blah. But there were too many. Obviously, the, 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 the club was in a, in a strange place because six months before, it was Martin O'Neill. Then Di Caño came in completely opposite in terms of energy and, and the way he he likes to uh, do things. And then um, three months later, another manager is coming. So too many changes for the club. So it's a problem as well for the people working at the club, as you can imagine. Uh, different approach to the players, uh, different rules. Uh, I, I just try to make, uh, you know, a message straight away that, uh, you know, if if the players they were not convinced that we had a chance to get uh, away from the relegation, then I had no chance. Because I'm telling you, the, the ones that play and they need to perform and do the right thing is the players. We, we help them. We put them on the pitch in the best possible conditions, our, you know, our way. And then, seriously, it's up to the players. Certain days, things are going to work and, you know, Sometimes no, and then I need to be, you know, picking the, the right ones and using the best ones in the best moments and, and, and making strong decisions because people doesn't remember normally about the good decisions or the or the ones that work it well. I'm not talking about good or bad because again, a decision is good if it works well, if you win the game, if you if you achieve your your goals. But then the decision look it simple and then 
it goes against you. So they are important decisions. Normally, they remember the bad ones, <laughs> the ones that didn't work. Uh, but there were there were plenty of decisions to make. Was there any particular players you were excited to work with when you took the job? Was there anyone you thought, oh, I can get something out of them? Well, me, in my system, and probably you will know because in the beginning it was one player and then uh, I used another one, uh, and then I brought one, uh, is, is a defensive central midfielder. And uh, I started a lot with the key, uh, which I think is an exceptional player, absolutely exceptional player. He understands very well. And then later on, uh, that position was, I used mostly Lee Catermon. We started having a very good relationship, you know, in terms of football, uh, because of what I needed from that role and how much he he embraced that role of playing in that position. So, uh, but then there were many, you know, I knew most of the players, the ex my United players, and you know, people that I knew from the past. I I had the chance to to bring back from <laughs> we call him from the dark. Uh, to Phil Bansley and, and, and I think Lee Catermore was away, like separated from the team and, and we brought him back and we said, okay, we start again, show me, you know, show me if the, if the dark next where you were last week is not your right place, you know, or maybe you deserve a different chance. And on those players, they really took the opportunity very, very well. So your first game was uh, well, it was a it was a horrible afternoon, four <laughs> 0 against Swansea. To be honest, at halftime, nil nil, I was thinking, okay, they got something. You know, when you think, I don't know how much, but something is getting there. Uh, the problem, I, I, with, you know, it was a possibility, but I didn't know exactly at the time. It was after conceding one goal, how the team will collapse uh, because it was like that. It was first goal in, and the team completely collapsed and I'm not talking about player I'm talking about the team the whole team yes what, three goals in seven minutes <laughs> so that that give you more information that uh, maybe you you have an idea but you didn't know it was that bad okay because that make you think okay we we need to work on that but also we need to try not to get one nil down you know to get ahead on the game to do things to you know to make them be positive and, and going forward so it was it was an issue. I think it was important for the players as well, because the players they probably thinking, okay, with Martin O'Neill we were struggling. He's coming the canyon. We win one game, we get safe. Oof. We go to the summer. We come back. We start terrible. They change the manager. The new manager is coming, and in you know, 20 minutes we conceded four. So you know, like we got a problem here, <laughs> and maybe it's not that much the manager. You know, the manager can help, but so I think it was important for the players as well, and. Uh, Obviously, you need something to happen, and probably we'll talk next. Uh, you know, having your second game or your first game at home, the derby, is only one way that you can go forward, and it means winning. What did you know about the Southern Newcastle game? Because obviously, as a Southern-based player, when you're in England, you might not know the rivalry. Were you surprised about how sort of ferocious the game was? I was a little bit surprised. I knew. Uh, I didn't know exactly how how big it was, uh, how much it meant. I can say to you that in my second week, I think it was, before we played Swansea, I was in the car coming back from the training line like at 5 or 6 in the afternoon, 6 p.m. And um, a car stopped next to us in the traffic light, a Sunderland. And the guy pulled the window down and said to me, Gas, Gas, he said, please, 
stay up, but even more important, beat Newcastle. Please, please, don't lose against Newcastle. And, you know, it was like we look at each other with Tariko, my assistant, and we say, okay, we know what we need to do. You know, we need to stay up and beat Newcastle. And that's it. That's our goal, you know, because that's what the fans want and that's what the chairman kind of agree with me. So, and our goal was clear from the first day, but even even more after a week living in, in summer. What do you remember about the way that the team was preparing for the game that week? Because I know when we played them, you know, that was the beginning of a run of six straight wins against Newcastle. Players like Lee Catmull, Seb Larson, Phil Bardsley, John O'Shea, they were big part of them games. Did you notice them sort of getting the team prepared professionally, different to maybe a normal game? Yes, yes, for many reasons. One, you don't need to put any motivation in training because the players are flying. Secondly, we, we pay attention to certain things that we improve from, from my point of view, tactical point of view. And maybe you, you cannot see those things the first half against Swansea and what happened in the second half to repeat it for 90 minutes. Uh, and then, obviously, to pick up the right team and, and work a little bit in certain situations, you know, like the set plays, the first goal or things like that. But then you need things to happen because obviously I didn't train Fabio Borini goal. That that's the ability of a player. That that's the quality of someone doing something special at the right time. And that's what I say to you that we can do a lot of the managers, but then you you need someone to stand up. And uh, I thought we were controlling the game. We were up for it when the goal of Newcastle came. I tried to influence the game obviously uh, because I thought, okay, I don't want this to be like last week. One goal, four goals, yeah, one <laughs> and three consecutive. So uh, we try to, you know, make things and talk to them and make a change and and things like that for them to to, to keep believing. And obviously, uh, probably one of the key moments of the season for me and for Sunderland is Fabio Borini's goal. What do you think would have happened if we didn't get the win of that game or even worse, Newcastle won the game? Do you think... You would have been doomed before you even got going. Well, for sure it would be a step back. Uh, for sure it would be no. You know, when you sack a manager, you want a reaction from the players. You want a shock, uh, and that needs to happen in the first two or three games. If it doesn't happen, you didn't make any impact, and uh, there was no better impact than winning the derby. You know, we were rock bottom, one point from eight games, so we were. Maybe for the first time in many, many games, no favorites or whatsoever against Newcastle, <laughs> even if we were playing at home. Uh, so, you know, the, the biggest impact you can have in a team is that. And, and I tell you, those games brings people together, brings players together, brings fans and players together, brings, you know, staff and players together. And that helps you a lot for the future, but a lot, a lot. You brought on Keyson Young and Fabio Barini with 20 minutes left. What was sort of the thinking behind that? Do you think they were going to make you know a big impact for you or were you just kind of hoping for the best? Well, I, I, I was already thinking about playing Fabio Barini on the left uh, in a 4-3-3 with a striker coming out from the wide areas and that was something that we were planning for the next few games. We were working on it and, and obviously the, the key situation is, is about the ball. You know, if you don't want to to let Newcastle to come over you then and, and take advantage of that situation of the, you know, the weakness of uh, conceding a goal, it was, okay, let's get the ball. Let's, let's have it. Uh, the best player at the club having the ball at that time with any doubt, eh, it was key. So key plus a striker, you know, 
helping us to look for the goal, I thought it was quite common sense, nothing very, very difficult to understand. You know, it was for me something simple, but that's something that it works naturally, you know, and, and the managers, you, you know why you're doing things and you, you try to do it as soon as you can without making any, any mistakes. Final thing on the 2-1 the win. How did you feel, firstly, when Fabio Barini did score what turned out to be the winner and you saw the crowd go crazy? And also, how did you feel at full time when we actually did win the game? We got the monkey off our back and it looked like, you know, we might actually have a chance of surviving. Well, my, my idea, uh, halftime was difficult because I, I needed to say calm and shake hands with Alan Pardew and then celebrate, which is tough because you want to celebrate straight away, no? As soon as the whistle goes, you want to run around the pitch, but you, you need to respect the opposition. Uh, and it, it was quite strange. I think there is some pictures of that. I, I go to shake hands. I come back and I kind of celebrate a little bit with the fans behind the bench. And then straight away, I think three, four seconds, I left because I needed the players to connect with the fans. I don't know if you get what I mean. Mm. That, that that connection between fans and players is the one that brings something extra. Is that the one when we say the fans are the number 12 on the pitch, you know? Is the one that they push the team in difficult moments or, or, or you know, they help you when, when you need that, that extra support. So I thought it was, it was a good moment to let them stay. Obviously, I had that, you know, reaction after shaking hands, like, yes, thank you. Uh, and then as soon as I, I went, like, you know, with the fans in the, behind the bench, I realized and I said, I need to go. And I left. And I went to my room and we were jumping up and down with Tano and company and Charlie Owen and, uh, you know, all the stuff. It was, it, was a, it was a good moment because at that time we say, yes, it's going to work. Yes, we can do it. Uh, even if it's early doors. From that point, we didn't sort of hit the form I wanted. The whole game came afterwards and we were down at nine men at half-time. We lost the game. And we played okay, to be fair, but we ended up losing the game. We only won two games before the January transfer window as well. Was it a struggle for you, the fact we weren't able to hit the ground running after the Newcastle game, or did you see progress even if the results weren't necessarily coming? I think we were a little bit more difficult to beat. Uh, no, normally when you start organizing a team in precision you start from the back and uh, slowly you go growing you know and bringing different things in offensive uh, it's very difficult to start you know making the team from the front and then working backwards I don't know some people can do it I prefer not uh, so I, I thought that in the, it was more organized uh, the squad the squad the whole squad was getting the formation better and they were saying that it was working. For example, the second half against Hull, when we are down to nine and we don't concede and we nearly score, give the players that believe, oh, okay, we can defend with nine as well. You know, like, so there is certain things that the players, they get convinced slowly and they get into their system. Uh, in the cup, I was changing players and the team was performing more or less the same. There was no big, big deals. Then obviously I had to use the keys, the Borinis, you know, against Chelsea to to get back in the game, but we were, I, th I thought we were getting better in organization, but the points, they were not still there. So we needed, uh, you know, a good run of games that uh, strangely came at the most difficult time, you know, after, or just before Christmas and after Christmas. And you mentioned talk a little bit about the League Cup there, but do you think those League Cup games helped to sort of take the negativity away from not necessarily getting the right results in the league? Because we were still... As you say, we were actually still winning games. It just wasn't necessarily coming in the league. 
Yes, I, I was convinced at that time, and uh, I, I'm going to tell you how, how simple it is. I was convinced that the cup was helping us a lot, okay? What I didn't know that at that time it was a qualifying for the final, it would be that bad. It would be that terrible for us. You know, I thought, I thought that all the process, the, the Southampton game, the Chelsea game, the, the two games against, uh, against Manchester definitely were helping the team to get together, to get wins, to celebrate, to get confidence, to show that we were able to do it. You know, certain things that they need, need to prove himself, the team, sorry, to, to be better. Uh, the problem was after. The problem was, you know, three weeks before the final and the following four weeks or so after the final <laughs> that we couldn't win a football game. Uh, and that shows you how the mental side of a football player works. You know, when you go to a final, the final becomes the most important part of your your season when we all know that the most important is the league. So uh, it, it was good. I, I think that without without the cup, probably we wouldn't win 4-1 at Fulham. We wouldn't win 3-0 at Newcastle. We do, you know, many, many things that happened during that period of uh, end of December and, and January. And let's talk a little bit now about things improving in January. We, we picked up some good results that month. You mentioned a few of them there, but I also want to talk about those uh, League Cup semi-finals against Manchester United. So, I mean, what was your feeling, particularly the away leg, where we had 9,000 fans there? It felt like a big night for Sunderland. It turned out it really was. But what were your emotions that night, particularly with Bardsley scoring that, uh, I would say, brilliant goal, but I think that's <laughs> probably yeah, not yeah, a fair way of putting it. But um, how did you feel that night and all the emotions that went through that game? Well, it was one of the most difficult, you know, emotional days of my career as a coach because so many things are happening, so many... Little time. Uh, the game was what we were expected. I think we were just okay. Something was missing. So just before then, we throw everything possible to go and, and get the goal to qualify. And, and when you get the goal that late, it should be it. You know, that's it. We qualify. See you later. It finish. But they moved from the middle of the park and they, you know, we couldn't get out. We needed to clear that ball and, and the game was over. And it was, uh, it was not possible. Uh, unfortunately, Chicharito scored and we went into the penalties. Because, you know, Normally, when you score that late in an extra time, uh, like I said, normally the game is over. The, it doesn't go too much after the 120 minutes, but unfortunately we couldn't deal with that. Then the penalties come. We were short of two or three. To be honest, to the player for the first time in my career, too many wanted to take. Too many. Normally you don't have enough, but here there were too many. Uh, everybody agreed that Craig Gardner needed to take the first one. Uh, Fletch asked me for the second and uh, it was funny because Marcos Alonso I put him on I didn't seem to take too many penalties but I saw him taking free kicks so I thought it was a good one and then Phil Barnsley was desperate to take one now when, when we get into that point I'm thinking wait, wait, wait a moment gents Key took a penalty at Everton and we won 1-0 you know in, in around Christmas in Boxing Day so Key needs to take a penalty inside the five and, and Key was looking at me like Okay, you know, I don't, I don't bother. It wasn't that, that he wanted really to put his hand crazy. It was a natural for him. So I said, I'm sorry, kids taking one. So I needed to take one out. Now, Phil Bansley was, you know, the adrenaline in the body of Phil Bansley after scoring the goal, it was incredible. But at the same time, probably considering after, everything got confused. So I said, listen, Phil, Phil you take the six. And he was very disappointed, to be honest. So then I, I, I don't know if you remember, I went to one side. 
towards the penalty and, and Craig miss and then Manchester miss. And I said, okay. And then Fletch miss. And when uh, Manchester United score, I go to the Phoenix coach and I'm thinking, oh my God, you know, we were through five minutes ago and now we're going to score a penalty. So it was kind of, it's going to be difficult. This. And then Key score and they miss. And then Marcos Alonso score and they miss. And then got the penalty to get through and he miss. And you were thinking, what is going on in here? You know, it's like uh, we, we don't want to win. Uh, fortunately, looking like Manchester, they didn't want to win even more than us <laughs> because they scored only one penalty from five, which was incredible. And, and it brought, again, I had to stay calm, shake hands with the, David Moyes, went across a few players of Manchester United trying to celebrate, but then it was impossible not to go to that corner. That was, I mean, to be away from home, I don't remember too many, except in finals, you know, you can play, that your club have half of the stadium for, for you. Uh, a cup game away from home with so many people celebrating at that, I don't think I even have it as a player. It was incredible. It was, it was, we didn't want that to end. You know, when you went to stay on the pitch for an hour, we didn't care. It was a spectacular. And, and that was very, very important for the players. Very, very important. You don't imagine how important it was. I think to resume it, I think is a, a video of, of that from Sunderland uh, webpage. That he said, can you believe it? I mean, bottom of the table <laughs> and in a final <laughs> against the Pro League champions. So it was quite a, a special moment and uh, unforgettable, yes. So what did you, as a team do that night did you all just have drinks on the bus or were you thinking oh, we're going to worry about the next game that was coming up I mean they, they asked me the players uh, can we get a few drinks from the from the bar from the players bar and I said yeah go on do whatever you like tonight I don't care you know like, I needed to relax as well I remember because I was trying not to turn my head back looking at the back of the bus you know there is better that better not to see it <laughs> what is going on at the back yeah, with the music and with everything but I remember that they they came and they, they gave me a beer as well. I said, come on, have, I have one beer. And we had a beer together. But it was, it was like I said, those moments, uh, they are very important for the team because they make you closer. You know, players with players, players with fans, fans with the staff. You know, every, everybody gets together, gets very close to each other. So the January transfer window, you brought in a few players, Marcus Alonso, Santiago Virgini, Oscar Stari, Ignacio Scocco. What was your thinking behind bringing them players in? And why do you think that apart from Marcus and Santiago, the other two didn't quite work out? Well, I, I think the situation was we knew that a few players that wanted to leave. We knew that we needed to inject something. Uh, we, we had a way of understanding football and, you know, wanted to play and uh we were convinced that we needed something extra, especially, uh, you know, in, in, in the position of the left back. And I knew Marcos from previous years at Bolton before he went to Fiorentina. Nacho Scocco at that time, he was a player that everyone in the world wanted to sign, uh, unfortunately. And I don't have words to explain it, but uh, it didn't work for him uh, at Sunderland. It didn't work for many, many reasons, but better not to talk because they, they sound like excuses. But it happened in football when a foreign player doesn't adapt to our place or, or, or to the way that the team plays. Uh, Santi Virginia gave us an incredible hand. I mean, for you to know, Santi played most of his life as a central defender and a few games as a right back. Uh, before going into the miracle end of the season, Phil Barnsley suspended two games, I think, and, and Cheluska is injured and we need a right back. And 
And I asked him, I said, Santi, listen, I need a favor from you. I need you to play right back. And he said to me, no problem. I said, but, but you know that in the next two games is <laughs> Man City away and Chelsea away. <laughs> you know, like saying, I want you to know before you say yes. Uh, Santi was a great lad. And uh, it, it, I couldn't change him after. I had to, you know, I left him the whole end of the season because of what he done for us. Uh, he put the team ahead of, of the personal uh, reasons. So it was, it was very, very, you know, well respected in the dressing room because he was, he's a nice lad. He's nice. He's a nice person. He doesn't have any any side of him. So the idea was not to stand still, you know. Uh, the idea was to to bring people to help you get out and, you know, to bring uh, other players up as well, you know, more, more competition, which is always important. I want to talk now about the the game at St. James's Park where I would argue that was probably the most perfect performance I think <laughs> you had as Sunderland manager. But what was it like for you to have you know, tactically masterminded this game, which I think is the perfect, you know, it was symbolic of what you were as a manager. It felt to me like that game was you as a football manager if everything went perfect. Well, we, like I said to you, um, the team was up to the end of, uh, nearly the end of December, was getting better in terms of organisation, but we were missing something. And that something was the confidence to, to the certain players to produce, to be, uh, to take risk in the last third, to, to, to believe in their ability. Yeah, because you can be a top team, but at the end you need certain quality to open up the opposite, the opposite teams. And uh, we knew exactly what would happen to Newcastle. So we knew where we were able to hurt them and, and how we had to play the game. Then you, you can be, or you can think that you plan a game fantastic and then you go to the game and nothing happened. And you, you know, you you, you try to analyze why, what happened, why it didn't work, why, why, why. This is what you said. This is when you plan something, you pick up the team, and and everything rolls. I'm, I'm making an example. For me, it was a, the best game that uh, Josie Altidore played for us, with any doubt. And when Josie performs at that level in the position on the pitch where he's the main striker, the whole team take advantage of that as well, because you got pressing, you got player to play off. You know, participating in, in, a, in a couple of the goals. So there is many things that maybe not the game he was unfortunately not bringing for us, but in that particular game he done it and he helped us massively. Uh, but I, I like it the way that the team. This is a key thing for me that we went there to win the game. We didn't go there. Okay, let's see, let's see what happened. Let's control it. Let's slow down. If you see our first three or four attacks, you know. Uh, overlapping in the inside, but getting to the box to get a penalty. The second goal, the, the quantity of pass on the rest on the left side, we recover the ball. We play one twos. We play one two with the altitude for Jack Corba, who leave the middle of the park and drive forward. So we were not thinking at any time. Just let's hold nil, you know, zero in our in our goal. We went there to win the game, and when you do that and things work, like you said before, it looks like it's is the perfect uh, result. So. For me, it's special, you know, we were in a difficult situation in the league, excellent in the cup, you know, those little things and special games, uh, I was always convinced that it will help the team uh, to achieve the end, no? the end goal that it was staying in the Premiership. The, the next game, we had Hull City at home and we lost the game 2-0 and it felt like, it often felt that when we picked up a positive result, we'd often kick ourselves 
and you know it happened with Hull earlier in the season as well. What do you think it was that? Do you think the players couldn't keep up with the performance levels the previous week? Why do you think we struggled the next week against Hull? I, I think I think I think it's too much relief when a team is, is so bad for so many months and so bad in. in is suffering because I'm telling you the players were suffering. It was difficult for them to keep looking at the table and always last and winning a game and still last and we couldn't really get the head out of the water and, and it was tough. When it's coming the big games, the special ones, and you win, uh, you know, the mental side of the player naturally goes, okay, I can relax a little bit. And football shows you that you cannot relax no one bit <laughs> because as soon as you relax a bit, Boom, it's coming someone and knock you down. And that, that was an issue. But I have to say, it's, it's difficult to, to manage that. Because if you are too intense after winning the game, the players as well can lose a little bit of, you know, believing you because they say, what is wrong with this guy? We just done the best performance and he's telling us that, you know, we're relaxing or whatever. So you need to manage that in the best way possible. But you always have to believe in the players. And unfortunately, at that time, we were still not the team that we wanted to be. You know, in consistency terms. Uh, but again, it's Premier League. Eh? Premier League, you think you are safe, and when you realize you go down, or the opposite. <laughs> you think you're down, <laughs> and nobody and nobody expects you to do what we've done. Let's talk now a little bit about the cup final. What was your feeling going into that weekend? Because obviously, as a player, you've played in many cup finals. How different was it as a manager going into that sort of match? Well, the, the, key, the key thing for me was we, we knew we were playing a very, 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 very good team. Too, too good, uh, especially the way they were playing. And we, we're learning a lot from the win at home, the 1 0, even if in the second half we defended like madness. Uh, but we knew that something like that was able to happen. But I was trying to maybe affect the game a little bit more than the other games uh, and convince the players that that was the best way. So we worked a lot in you know certain positioning on the pitch and the shape. Uh, the change in a front for the first time that does well bring something into the team. You know, when when you made that kind of decision, okay, I'm not going to play Fletcher or Altidor and, and Fabio Borini left. No, I'm going to play Fabio Borini front. So the team itself, the players themselves, they go, wow. And maybe someone they will go, that's interesting. Maybe another one will say, no, why? Or another one will say, oh, well, I like it. But to get the other side, you need that to work. Okay? So obviously when we score, uh, the way where we score, the way that we prepare to play the game, and that we knew we were able to take advantage of them, the players themselves they they go to another level of uh, you know believing. And if you remember before the halftime, we had a second situation with Fabio Borini, pretty similar. That if he finishes in goal, maybe we're talking about a different thing now. But but that's important when you see something that can happen when you analyze the game. When you train a little bit, you convince the players, believe me, this is going to work. And then something happened in the game that it does work. So the players, they go to a, an extra level. So the most difficult part for me is halftime. You know, I, I have to try to make sure that we know what we go ahead. But we know as well that, you know, there is a lot of to do. You know, like it's a mix. You cannot be too relaxed, but you cannot be too intense. Because either way, you can, you can lose the game. Uh, uh, you know, people was talking in the dressing room. Come on, let's make sure that they need to do something incredible to beat us. And unfortunately, they done something incredible. I mean, the Yaya Toure goal is, is spectacular. But saying that, I think the most important for, thing for me about the game is five years after, probably two years ago, underground in London, uh, I met uh, a Sunderland fan. 
who I hope is listening to this and remembers what he told me because I'm going to repeat it. Uh, and he said to me, oh, guys, hi, how are you? I'm a Sunderland fan. And we had a little chat. And he said to me, uh, I don't know if I, I, I will ever feel the way you made me feel at halftime at Wembley. And I said to him, we lost. <laughs> Typical mentality from a South American. <laughs> the only thing is important in a final is winning. Uh, he said, no, no, I'm talking at halftime, he said to me. I, I, I don't remember feeling that way, like I felt at halftime at Wembley, winning 1-0. And, and looking at that and thinking, are we going to do it? You know, like that, that feeling. And, and that's something that is, is the best that can happen a manager or a football player or anyone, you know, when a fan can have those feelings. You know, the feeling at halftime at Wembley, the feeling of St. James's Park 3-0, you know, after the game, or, or the feeling when we got safe against uh, West Brom. That stayed forever, feelings, you know. Nobody will remember how they felt that day. Talking about the goals themselves, I remember watching at the time and wondering if Yaya Toure meant that goal. Do you think he meant it? Do you think maybe it was a cross? I don't know. I was behind him. And when I saw the ball going over, I'm thinking, no, please. <laughs> and then, then the second one is even incredible. It's, it's like a volley with the outside of the foot. It flick a little bit, Phil, Phil Barnsley, and it does like, oh no, it flicked, it flicked before. It does like, it bent like outside the goal. Like a, I mean, it's an incredible hit from Nasri. But listen, I think we we play our best. That that's a situation where you have to be honest with yourself and with football and with your players. Uh, we had the best, you know, uh, the, the best thing that we could do on the day. Uh, we, we couldn't do more because that was the maximum that we were able to perform at that time. And uh, so there is no regrets. There is the bad feeling, okay, of losing a final, but definitely no regrets. Uh, the team done everything, absolutely everything possible to win the game and we were closer than maybe we think. What was your feelings after the game, maybe when you had a, a day or two to digest, you know, losing the cup final? Were you proud of the players? Were you disappointed? Were you a mix of the two? I, I was very proud of the player. I was devastated because uh, I know how difficult it is to get to a cup final because, you, you know, not many teams they get to cup finals quite often, uh, meaning that you don't know how it's long it's going to take for you to get to another cup final. Uh, you as a manager, you as a player, you as a fan. So when those opportunities they come along, you're thinking, you know, I have to take it. So that was the, the sadness or the, or the bad feeling. But from the players, I'm telling you, I couldn't ask for more. It was really, I mean, I watched the game the other day, they showed it in the sky. Uh, and, uh, and I have to say, there is a moment that I'm thinking, oh, that's good. I mean, we've, we played decent. We we played. I play. I think we played better than what I thought at the time. Watching it now, I know that sometimes you watch game and you think the opposite. Oh, we were terrible. How we won that game, but in particular the final. I think I think we played better than what we think. There were key moments in the game that you know, depending on on the day, it can go one way or the other. But we we did perform at a highest level, especially for a team going being bottom of the of the Premier League. You know, that, that's a, that's a key thing. We're talking about. Premier League winners against the bottom of the team, uh, and the difference was not that big, uh, apart from the quality of the goal. No, that they were incredible. Seven days later, we played a, a game against Hull again, the team that was our bogey team that season. But it was an FA Cup quarter final. You've criticised at the time. I think fans probably still some of them feel the same that you made maybe too many changes and the team wasn't as strong as it could have been. Do you think that that's a fair criticism, or do you think you you would still do the same? I always respect the criticism, but this is coming back to what I said to you in the beginning. You make a decision against Southampton in the FA Cup, play whatever team you want to play, you win. Nobody remembers the decision. 
you play the quarterfinal against uh, Chelsea and two of your key players, Key and Fabio Borini, they're on the bench and nobody cares. You're bringing them in. One is scoring the 90th, the other one is scoring the 120th. You get through. Good decision. Then you change more or less the same players against Hull. Bad decision. Now, what the players, the, 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 the fans, they don't know, and I respect this and I, I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying, is that I saw what the final done to us. Okay? I, I told you before, during the process to get to the final, the team was getting better. As soon as we qualified for the final, it was nothing apart from the final. Nothing. And we were still bottom in the league. And I was thinking the same way. I'm going to use the cup to try another thing, but I'm not going to uh, play with the possibility of staying in the Premier League. I'm not. I'm not going to do something like uh, I play my strongest team now and I, I lose on Saturday. It doesn't matter because I'm going to try to get in the FA Cup final. And that was a decision uh, that at the day against Hull, for the fans, with all respect, it was wrong. Perfect. I got no, no issue with that. It's just an opinion, remember? It's not the truth. It's an opinion. Uh, but I think, and I'm convinced, that uh, thanks to not getting through in the FA Cup to late stages of the Cup, help us dramatically to, to do the miracle. Uh, obviously, I cannot prove it. Uh, I'm not stupid. But uh, I didn't want to be in a situation again to be playing quarterfinal or semifinal solely of the FA Cup and the players wanted again to have a, a go at the cup because we lost the first one and uh, forget about the league. And that's something happened a lot of the time. I mean, it happened to Wigan without going too far. Mm. Wigan and the Roberto Martinez, they won a cup, they went down. Now, did the fans want that? Ask, ask them now that they're in League One. Tell, tell them what they prefer, to win the FA Cup and be in League One or to be in the Premiership because we were in the Premiership. That, that is, that's the main thing. You know, the club asked me a goal. Yeah, you told me before, what did the early shorts ask you for? And I say more or less to you. In top of that, the fans, they, they add the Newcastle the games. So my goal was stay up with Newcastle. The cup was extra. Now, no one's a fan, and I can have the biggest discussion with them ever. They're going to tell me that they were thinking that with a team that had one point from seven games, a new manager will come, and they're going to get safe, and they're going to go to the two cup finals. That's more than a dream. That's craziness, okay? Now, that maybe they're going to get safe, fair enough. That maybe they're going to get safe and play one final. Ah, oh, maybe. The two finals. So it's like we, like I said to you, when you make a decision and it doesn't work, it stays in the head of everybody. When you make a similar decision and it works, nobody remembers. And that's something that, I'm not saying different decisions, I'm saying same decisions. Because my decisions in the Carling Cup and in the FA Cup were exactly the same. I swear. With the difference that semi-final, obviously, I try to play our best team because it's my United because it's semi-final. But I, I don't regret doing that. And, uh, and if I, I had to take the criticism, I will take it because I knew that we needed to really, really put emphasis on the league because if not, we were going down. So after, after them couple of games, you went on a... Well, it was the precursor to the to the miracle run, but you know, to have the miracle run, you've got to have the the poor run of form. So we we drew against Crystal Palace, lost against Norwich, lost against Liverpool, lost against West Ham. Then we lost five one away at Tottenham. To Norwich, uh, I cannot tell you what happened at Norwich because it was uh, scary. Uh, I I think at Liverpool we played better than where we go. I think we gave him we gave him a big scare. I think they were thinking, oh, this is going to be easy. And when Key scored in the second half. You know, Amphi went quiet, dramatically quiet, okay? 
So obviously they were very strange game. And we started against Tottenham decently and we scored first and everything looked right and the, the team collapsed. So at, at that time, the, the team at Tottenham reminds me a lot the team at Swansea, my first game, a lot. Okay, a team that conceded one goal and it will disappear. So uh, at, at that time, I thought this is going to need something special. And uh, I was convinced. I think against Everton after that, we played decent and we lost because when you're at the bottom, everything goes against you, you know, the own goal. Uh, I had a good chat with Roberto Martinez, that he's playing, you know, when he's been in that situation with Wigan before and how they done and things like that. And then we we went into those games with the, probably the team itself relaxed a little bit, like saying, okay, you know, this is going to be practically impossible. Uh, the games that we go away from home, they are uh, for, for this team in particular and the history shows that it's going to be very difficult and blah, blah, blah. And, and, that kind of, I don't know, kind of relaxing or opportunity brought something in the team. Uh, also, Conor Wickham, we have to be honest. You know, when you, ha- when you have a player that at that moment in time stand up the way that, that Conor did for us, for whatever reason, you know, the right timing or opportunity, I think that helps. Because obviously on those games, you need certain players to be a, a top, top level. Before we get on to the, to the run itself, after the 1-0 defeat at Everton, you said, there's something wrong in the football club. If I don't find it, we've got a problem. I am responsible. But who is going to be next? It could be anyone and the club will be in the same situation. Do I have the appetite to find it? It would be lying to say, I, I will promise we will be safe and then nothing happens and I will walk away. But I'm going to leave it a better club. We are a better club from the moment I got here. What were you sort of getting at at that point? Because at that time, I knew the club very well, and I knew it was something wrong. And uh, I was trying to convince people to help me to, you know, change things, which is very difficult, I have to say. I found it very, very difficult to change things and mentality at the club. So um, when, you, when you say something that is true, unfortunately, I didn't say for the reason, but unfortunately today it's proven, okay? Mm-hmm. Because if no, Sunderland was knowingly one. You need people to support you in a, in a certain way to change those things, you know, to change the mentality, uh, to change things that they were working for 20 years that they don't work anymore, uh, you know, to do certain things in a, in a different way. And I, I thought I was convinced that if, if, if they were able to let me do certain things, uh, I thought I had an idea that I was able to work. But, okay, I knew, especially at that moment when I said it, that... Apart from beating Newcastle and getting the cup final, I didn't prove anything. So uh, I, I want you to say, because I, I'm the type of person that I don't like to get out. And now telling you, ah, I knew it. Before, after Everton, I knew it. And you can say to me, why well, you didn't say it? And I, so that means I told you. You know, it's a different way of discussing that situation. One way is the one that normal people does. With, you don't know if it's true or not, because they say, I knew it, but they didn't say it. There is another one, mine. I told you. I told you before it happens. Okay? So when you tell people the truth, they don't like it. People prefer that you don't say nothing, you get on with it, get on, it's a job, get on, you will get sacked, you go home, doesn't matter. No, it does matter. Because when I go to a club, it's my family and my club. The most important thing in the world. There is nothing more important than my family and my club. So whatever I need to do to help my club to be better, I will do it because it's my life. But people take it the wrong way. 
people thinking, no, oh, no, he doesn't know. He wants to change things. He wants to make it. No, I don't want to change things for me. I want you to change it because I know I can help you because I've done it before and it worked. Okay? Uh, but obviously, you needed to do something. And before we go into the final, no, the, miracle, the miracle, when we done the miracle, I thought, okay, I think I earned now the chance to do things at the football club. And that was my conversation in the summer with the chairman. What I didn't know, or I didn't expect, is that Lee Congerton would be certain areas much, much powerful than myself. So at the end, I was not able to do it. <laughs> Bottom line. And that's a problem. And that's why the club, unfortunately, is where it is now. Because uh, they didn't really want it to go in a certain way of understanding life, the standards, professionalism, way of playing, understanding football, many, many things that you need to have on a certain level for the club to be consistent over the years. We've come back a little bit later towards what the you know what's happened at the club and sort of where we are now, but I want to go back to the Great Escape one. So we'll start with the Man City game. Two minutes in, Fernandinho scores. I know me at the time, pretty much, I was watching the game and I was like, right, do I turn the TV off at this point? Is it over? But stuck with it. Obviously, Conor Wickham then scores them two goals. It looks like we're going to head towards three points and Vito Minone drops an uncharacteristic error. We end up drawing the game. It was another roller coaster of emotions. But what were your feelings when the game went one nil to Man City after two minutes? Did you think, oh, another horrible day at the office? Well, to be honest, this is a picture of me. Like I open up my my jacket, like thinking, oh my god, here we go. You know, uh, so simple, so early. It's, it's, it's an important message on the day of Man City. Uh, when the game finished, I was my, my feelings were strange because I was like happy. But at the same time, like, wow, how close we were, you know, to get the extra two points. Like, a little bit of disappointed, you know, like, uh, so that, that, that's a strange feeling to go into the dressing room because, uh, you know, the, the, the players, they didn't deserve any kind of um, bad words or, you know, anything bad or hard on them because they, they play a great game against the future champions, by the way, that they were the champions that year. Um, but it was a key moment that I, I explained a few times now. Oscar Ustari, he was on the bench and came to me and said, Mister, can I say something? Say, say, be good with the players. They were outstanding. Naturally, from him. Nobody done it before. No, no, no one player came ever to tell me or to ask me, please, you know, maybe he thought that we go in and, you know, going crazy because we, we didn't win the game. I, I was not, I, I was not that in that frame of mind of, of going crazy because I thought, the team did well. Uh, but those words from uh, Oscar Ustari kind of pushed me to be nicer, if you can say, in a certain way. And I went to the dressing room and I was like, Boy, boys, oh, you know, like, you know, we keep proving that we can do it. We keep proving the, 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 the Fulham game, the, the, the Newcastle game, the, the, the semifinals, even the final. We keep proving that we can. I don't understand why, the, 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 you know, the, the West Ham games, the, the, the Tottenham game, how is that possible? How we can be so different, you know? Uh, so it, it was it was an important end of the game uh, meeting, that one, because the players, they left confident, we can say. Now, we knew that we were going to Chelsea, that Chelsea was unbeaten at home against Mourinho. Many, many things that they were in there that they was probably thinking, yeah, but we still needed to go to Chelsea now. Uh, but I think the game uh, uh, a City gave us something to be able to keep believing. 
you mentioned there the Chelsea game. Again, we went down early goal. It was Samuel Eto'o. Connor Wickham gets an equaliser. And the game's pretty evenly poised at that point. And then Josie Altador wins a penalty. It, it, I think it's still a debate whether or not it was a penalty. I'd be interested to see whether or not you think it was a penalty or not. But I watched it a hundred times and I still don't know if it's a penalty. Because I don't I don't know the rules. If I step on your leg and you slide on the floor and then you bring me down because I stamp in you, it's a foul or not. I, I don't know. I had to say, I don't know. On the day after the, the game, it was Glenn Hoddle and Jamie Renap commentating on TV and one was saying it's a penalty, one was saying it's not. Was not, sorry. So, very difficult. And that's the guys that, for me or against me, I always go with the referee. Because if I don't know after watching so many times, how can you be sure life, you know? Mm. So, when you go for you or against you in those cases, you have to take it. And, and again, both ways. I think, I, think, I think there is two things to say about that game. Then, then the, three, the team that was playing at that time, that was practically the same, until the end of the season, convinced themselves that it was possible. Uh, then was the day that that famous banner that I go home, that gas miracle happened. I got it home, by the way, the fans, they, they gave me as a present uh, in the corner of, of Stamford Bridge. Uh, Show the players that it was possible. We knew, without respect to Cardiff, we knew, I swear to God, we knew that somehow against Cardiff, we will get the three points. Somehow. It didn't matter how, eh? But we knew that we were in a kind of momentum that it was impossible to Cardiff to get something from us. The thing was afterwards, you know, and the rest of the teams always that they were playing as well. Uh, you know, how many points that we make, how many games that we win, because we always were depending on Norwich and company no no winning games. So it, w- it was a reinforce on the on the possibility and the belief that we had probably at the end of, uh, of December and beginning of January. The team went back to that togetherness of playing in a certain way and being solid, but at the same time going forward and creating chances. What did Jose Mourinho say to you after the game? Did he was he magnanimous? He always comes across as that, but or could you tell he was very disappointed to have lost that home record that he treasured as Chelsea manager? No, to, to me, we, we we had already because that was our was our third game, no, against Mourinho that year, no. We we lost in the league at home, a crazy game, I think it was. It was it was that year, the four three or the four two, in the semi, the quarter final. So I, I I remember that he said, if you keep it like that, you're gonna get safe. And then he told me that something like that. I don't know exactly the same words, but yeah, he was disappointed, especially Rufaria, no, his assistant went went crazy and and he got sent off. Um, I I think most people at that time they were thinking only about Chelsea and Liverpool, uh, Man City, the league. Nobody was paying attention to us. You understand what I mean? It was like uh, we were there just to enjoy ourselves. Uh, and nobody realized at that time that we went there because we needed to get safe. <laughs> we were not in a, you know, in a park playing a, with kids, a um, friendly game. So until we didn't get safe, I, I don't think that people put in consideration why the team was so tough to play against on that day, you know, like a proper because we were playing for our lives. But like I said, after that, there is a change on the on the mind of the players. And probably we were, you know, if we needed three or four or five more games, that we were able to win it with any doubt. Yeah, because obviously next was Cardiff at home and that was uh, a comfortable 4-0 win. And it felt like that was the day where everyone went, yeah, OK, Miracle's pretty much ticked off now. Um, and then we followed that up with a, a 1-0 win away at Old Trafford. What were them two games like? Because again, two clean sheets, um, it must have been good for you to see that the team was really, you know, following your playing style. We were playing very attractive football as well. But what were your feelings after them two games? Look, the, the first one, like I said to you, against Cardiff, I knew we would win again. 
because the team was wow. The team was focused. It was in. It was. It was after we we left Stamford Bridge. They were desperate to play. You know when you want to play a game so much that you you know you're gonna give more than you have. And so I was calm in the game against United. It was it was a strange game. I tell you why. They just changed the manager the previous week. They won against under Ryan Giggs like four 0 or something like that. Uh, people keep remembering me forty something years of Sunderland without winning in in Old Trafford in the in the league. And I'm thinking, mamma mia, why they keep you know like always negative. That something that we don't need now is any negativity around us. But I thought we went there with, with such between calm calmness and and confidence. I remember the team being out Trafford completely, uh, I won't say in control, like you are a, you know, a spectacular team, but completely on the game. You know, when you are comfortable, not winning comfortable, playing the game. I thought the team was was decent, was difficult to play against. We scored the goal. We had two, three chances in the second half with Borini and, and Marcos Alonso. Uh, we, we kept, like I said to you, we kept going forward, you know, you know, because a team playing for relegation, yeah, after you score the 1-0, 99% of the teams, they will go back, yeah, 5-4-1, and see you later trying to defend for their life. We were not. We went there and we kept attacking and Marcos Alonso kept overlapping and we kept going forward and we keep creating and making sure that Man United knew well, they're going to play, you know, they're not going to give us the ball. So it was something strange. Uh, so for me, it was a confirmation. And I, to be honest, I had one problem that day. I thought we were safe because I was 99% that Chelsea would beat the Norwich the following day. And the next day when Chelsea didn't beat Norwich and we needed a, a point against uh, uh, West Brom, uh, that changed my mood a little bit. And uh, the worst game in terms of nerves for me Counting every single game of my time at Sunderland, counting the Cup Finals, counting the Newcastle games, it was West Brom at home. I don't know why. I cannot explain it. Probably, I have to say, it was because, you know, like after what we've done, now we need to be West Brom. Come on, you know, let's not mess around now. So that was my feeling. Uh, I was very nervous that game, I have to be honest. The West Brom game itself, the, the atmosphere at the stadium like last that night was electric. Won the game, we're two 0 up after half an hour. Did you feel were you relaxed once we were two 0 up? Did you or do you wait for that last ninetieth minute? No, like I said to you, I, I was confident in the team because of the way we were playing. I knew that we would start the game well, but you know, in games things happen. Uh, last man red card or a mistake or a bad decision from the referee, whatever it can happen in a game. So I, I, I was asking, I don't know if I said it at the time, but probably I did. I want a normal game. You know, normal means 11 v 11, no mistakes, no big things, just normal. If it's normal, we got a chance, great chance, because we were on fire. I, I remember in the second half, the, the stadium going crazy, you know, non-stop singing. And, and me watching the, the clock a uh, hundred times in 45 minutes, at least, I couldn't stop looking at the seconds going back, you know, like <laughs> it never ended. I mean, it was it was long as you can imagine for me. Uh, but that, that, okay, when you beat Newcastle is extra, when you get your final as well. But, but in terms of achievements, uh, I, th- I think that time was my best time at the club. You know, 
my goal, my my end, it was achieved. You know, it was it was done. Uh, and I remember talking to Short Ellis the week after and said, Chairman, let me go on holidays. I don't want to talk about football for a week. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to see one shirt. I don't want nothing. I just want to disappear for a week, relax, enjoy my moment, and then I come back and we go again, you know, like crazy. Uh, but it was, uh, was a special moment. I, I wanted to stay on the pitch forever, to be honest. Uh, we had a great night that night. We had a great time with the staff and the players and and we were we were ready to do something special the following year. That, that was the key. By the way, I can tell you now, that day, I knew that we were losing against Swansea. 100%. Forget it. 100%. Okay? But we didn't care. We needed to be professional and nothing else. But, uh, you know, when you do something that special, obviously the last game is, is an extra one. So, looking now in your second season, the summer transfer window w- was interesting. I think most fans were on board with the signings. Jack Rodwell came in, England International. Patrick Van Aanholt was bought for a small fee, but obviously we've seen him blossom into the players today. Will Buckley came in from Brighton. Billy Jones, Jody Gomez, Costel Pantilamon all came in. And Santiago Regini was brought in permanently. We also brought in Sebastian Quares and Ricky Alvarez. Were you happy with the window? Or do you feel like there was maybe a player that got away that you really wanted? It was a strange window because it was late. I didn't like it. I always believe, and uh, I'm still believing, and I try to say to everyone I work with, uh, if, you, if you do your, your job very good in the summer, the season after is, is very easy. If you do it good in the summer, maybe it's all right. But if you don't do your, your right, you know, the job right in the summer, uh, you're gonna pay the price. I think we were slow. I think we were too, um, like, um, you know, when you want to to do certain things in a certain way too dramatically without having flexibility and without trying to be more clear. Like, like I said, in May when we signed the new contract, I was convinced that we have uh, much much power, if you can say, to change things at the club that I did have in the second year. And that, this is not a criticism, because it's not my club. So, <laughs> here, the, the one who makes the decision about who does what is the chairman, and then the CEO, and then the sport director, and then the manager, no? And everyone got a role, and you need to obey the, the message from the top. But in football, the only way to earn that power is showing. And I thought that after the season we had, like I earned the sum of that possibility, uh, unfortunately, I was wrong. And little things change at the club, apart from the sport director. Uh, mentality the same, same way of bringing the players, same way in the second team, same way in the academy, same people at the club. I mean, too many things that were the same. So the, the only thing that was the club doing is another season, you know? Not learning from the past, not trying to change things like I, I want you to change. Listen, I repeat, whoever is listening to me, I'm putting myself in the other side. So I'm not trying to say my way. I understand the club got the responsibilities and do it the way they want to do it. And I don't know if what I'm saying to you will work. I promise you that you were the only one. I can promise you that because I know because we've done it. The problem is that when you still believe in that the situation is easier and that you're going to bring players and you're going to change managers and you're going to get safe. Because remember, when I left, okay, it's coming Dick Avocat and everybody got in love with Dick Avocat because they got safe, yeah? And they convinced his wife to stay. And we love him to pieces. But after eight games in the following season, yeah, everybody wants him out. So where was the love for him and his wife? Gone. And then some other guy comes and saves the club and goes to the national team. And then you get David Moyes, which is proven, yeah, manager in the Premier League. And you go down. So that's showing you 
that what I said after the game on Everton that you told me earlier, it was the truth. But unfortunately, when somebody says the truth to people, they don't like it. Simply as that. It's not difficult. People prefer me to lie and tell you how good you are than to tell you the truth. And then it's incredible that things need to go bad for me or whoever said the truth to tell why it's working. You know, when, when Niall Quinn was a manager, mm-hmm. if I don't remember wrong, he said something, uh, they, they uh, gremlins, no? Uh, in the club, they like, uh, we got gremlins coming from the club, like it was something. It's exactly what I say with different words. Maybe he learned in Ireland, I learned in Uruguay. <laughs> he say he say gremlins. I say there is something wrong. I think gremlins are something wrong. No, I don't think they are very nice. But anyway, now he criticized me for saying there is something wrong at the club because he was out. But when he was in, there were gremlins. Mm. So that shows that Niall is trying to be politically correct, trying to be nice when it suits him, and when it doesn't suit him, he's in charge and he cannot win a football game. There is gremlins. I'm not. I'm telling you the same The same thing when I'm there. Then when I'm not there. It was something wrong at the club, and you pay the price. And I told you a year later, and I told you when they went down, and I told you in league in championship, and I told you after seeing the the series, uh, Sunderland till I die, which the first one was incredibly emotional for me, absolutely mm-hmm. emotional. It was magnificent. It was class. It showed exactly what the club is and what it means to the fans of Sunderland. The second was 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 an acting, an acting role. It was a uh, you know like watching a an American series. No, a football series. And unfortunately, that's the problem. That the most important thing in a football club yeah, is what happened on the pitch. So you have to miss it between the players and the fans. Obviously, the manager needs to pick the players because it's the one he deals every day. You can be very nice and say that the fans are the most important. Now, the situation is they are as much as possible with each other. You cannot have a club only with fans and you cannot have a club only with players. Simple. Now, the rest will pass. No, we pass by. How many managers have passed by in Masandra? Hundreds. Still the fans. Yeah, the fans are still there, no? The, the, the managers go past by, but the fans are still there. Yeah. So when somebody is still there all the time, that's important. Simple. That's the most important thing. Then when you are a manager and you depend on the players, I think the fans, they need to realize that they also depend on the player. I'm, I'm sure that most of the fans, they would love to play. But because you cannot play, whatever is happening on the pitch is what you get from, you know, like the happiness or the sadness. So the players is your most valuable thing after. And I don't think that we believe and still don't believe that Sunderland. They still believe in that uh, it's more important the fitness or the, or the, or the mental side or, or the organization or the CEO or the owner or the chairman. or, or No, gentlemen, no. You know who plays the game? Who makes people funny, uh, happy? Players. And then fans that they are there all the time. It doesn't matter in which division. So the relation between the fans and the players needs to be spot on. The strongest that you can get. And when both are honest with each other, there is only one way. You know, you have to have a consistency because you're going to have an understanding and a commitment. And during the time that you don't do that, the things happen. Like it happened to Sunderland. It did happen to Leeds in the past, no? How many years away? Well, but that's the situation. It's not difficult. Now, when I said it before, I was crazy. I was going against everybody. I was blaming everybody. I was not blaming anybody because the only one who paid the price was me. Yeah, getting sacked. Okay, you get paid or you don't get paid, but at the end of the day, you get sacked and it's not nice. It's one of the lower moments in in your career when you get sacked because you want to prove that you are the right person there. Now, it didn't work. A hundred excuses, like I said. I'm not going to say it to you because I don't like excuses. What I like is when I say things before they happen. Simple. And with the things I said before it happened, it happened, there is no way you can go back and try to challenge that. Now, 
I would like people to go back to when I say those things and tell me the truth about how they felt about my words. Thank you, because that's the problem. At that time, to go against someone is very easy, but we've been in football. I've been inside football club. And, uh, and sometimes you, you know certain things that need to work in a way for a football club to work. And unfortunately, they were not the right things or something. So for take ourselves back to the summer of 2014. Um, how did you look at the, the summer as a chance? I mean, you said you felt the business came in a little bit late, which will have impacted the next question, which is implementing your style of play. Did you feel that you were able to do that successfully over the summer? Or would you have liked a few more weeks? No, 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 we didn't have anything. We went to, you know, my, my part of training is very simple. We do a couple of weeks in, in, in Sunderland to, to get the base aerobically and, and technically to, to go somewhere and have a stage like we done in Portugal and I start working morning and afternoon on the Taltica side and the way we want to play and the understanding and many, many things that you need to work. So the sooner you get the player, the better. And I remember playing my first game in, in, in Portugal with uh, Mavrayas as a right back because we didn't have a right back because uh, Jones was injured at the time. And we didn't have another one. Uh, without going too far, we started the league with our right back. Because in my first league game I was Rome, uh, Jones was injured and we didn't have a right back. And if I remember bad, I, I played West Brown right back. No. Uh, now, if you tell me, you fan, that is normal that a premiership club, with the money that is involved in the premiership club, you can start the Premier League without right back, playing right back, I would say to you it's embarrassing. Okay. Yeah, no, I would agree. Okay, but who pays the price? That's the problem. You know who is standing there? You know who was standing there when we lost Enil? Me. Me. I'm standing there in the touchline, taking everything. And I need to talk to the press. And I need to give explanations that there are none. What, what explanation you can give after a result like that? Uh, there is so many things. Are you responsible? Fair enough. I take responsibility. But don't give me the chance to go back and tell you all the things that we done in the summer wrong. All of them, okay? That influence to that conclusion. Because I put the players on the pitch, I promise you this, I put the players on the pitch, I make sure that between the club and myself, we do everything possible to put the players on the pitch without having the chance to give you one excuse. Because football players, we are like that. As soon as we lose a game, who was to blame? Oh, the training pitch is too hard. Oh, the training pitch is too, is too soft. My legs are tired. Oh, the food at the training ground is no good. Oh, the bus is an old bus. Oh, we didn't flew over. We didn't have a private plane. We had a bus. Oh, the, the food at the hotel. Oh, the bed at the hotel wasn't good. Oh, the manager made a bad change. Oh, the manager didn't pick the right team. That's normal. That's normal. Eh? That's me when I was a football player. So I'm not blaming anyone. I'm saying how we are. So my job is to put that football player on the pitch in a way that he cannot come out and say, ah, but no. No, because everything was done in a manner, in a standard of a premiership club. So you got no excuses. You need to go and perform. And if you don't, it's your responsibility. So if I'm asking that to my players, yeah, I would like the club to do the same with me, not to give me one excuse. No one. Now, when you give someone a hundred excuses, it's too easy. You go then, you release, ah, oh, yeah, I didn't have this, I didn't have that, I didn't ask for this, I asked for this and they brought me this and blah, 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 blah. And I'm not the type of guy. So I took it, I took it, I took it, and took it, and then you pay. You pay for it. So sometimes people will say to you, why you didn't say before? Well, every time I open my mouth, I it was a mess because you cannot say the truth. 
So sometimes you need to keep things for yourself. Okay? But it doesn't help because now I cannot tell you those because I don't like to tell you things now without saying to you before because now it's too easy. You know, we say with the, with the newspaper of Monday, we are all very good. Yeah, Monday newspaper is easy after the game is being played. Uh, I like to tell you things on the moment, but unfortunately it wasn't the situation that I was expected or that I thought I earned it with my my work, with the players' help and with the fans' help and what we achieved the year before. But it didn't work at all. I, I didn't make... I think we, we had better games my first season than the second one, which is not normal, as you can imagine. It should be normal with the players that you try to bring in. I mean, that second season, we actually we drew a lot of games that year. I don't know if that's something that you can put your finger on as to why, but it felt like we were very hard to beat, but we also struggled to, to finish games off. Do you, is there, was there a particular reason, do you think, why maybe you couldn't, you know, was it a lack of quality in the final third, why we wouldn't, weren't able to win as many games and we drew so many? The, the, the problem is that the, the change changed dramatically. That's what people doesn't know. For example, we lost Phil Barsley. Yeah, he went. Yeah. Then uh, I thought at that time to sign uh, Marcos Alonso it was an easy decision. It was uh, easy, no, common sense, no even discussions. I mean, I was expecting the club to come to me and say, eh, Marcos is in, it's done. You know, you don't need to ask for those things. Fabio Borini, it's done. You don't need to ask for him. Then we, we can have a discussion about Key. Yeah, because Key at that time, and I can give you a certain information. They, they were saying a price that we were not able to play to pay, okay? But then we paid a price for Charroa. So were we able or we were not? I just want to explain. Or oh, they are different pounds, you know? One, they are 50-pound notes, millions. In the other one, they are 20-pound notes, millions. So we don't have the 20-pound notes, but mm. we got the 50 I mean, for me, there were things that they were common sense. The players that they perform at a certain level and give a consistency the previous year, can we get them? Let's get them first and most. That's common sense. Mm-hmm. So which one we can change? Well, the ones that didn't play. Yeah, or the ones that finished contract and didn't play. Or the, the ones that don't want to stay, like Nacho Scoco, didn't want to stay. We tried to convince him. He didn't want to stay. Fair enough. See you later. No? Now, what you cannot do is just a front zero. What you said did with Di Caño, what you just did the year before with uh, Martin O'Neill, what you're going to do next year with uh, Dick Avocat, what you're going to do the next year with uh, uh, David Moyes, and that's how you go down. So that's what I didn't want, to put it simple and clear. I didn't want to start from zero. I didn't want to have the base of the team that finished the season playing at a certain level, if it was possible, obviously. If you tell me we got no money, okay, no money. That is a different thing. But we had the money, did we? Certain money. I think we spent 15 million. We didn't spend too much of that, but it was certain money. So we were able, if we wanted to, to bring Fabio Borini, Mr. Key, Marcos Alonso, minimum. Plus Santiago Virginia, that was easy because it was super cheap. And then I start thinking about the other positions. But no. Why? Because we changed the director, the director came, had a different idea, needed to merge And then when everything starts from zero. You cannot keep starting from zero. Consi- starting from zero doesn't bring any consistency. Okay? And the excuse is, ah, because it didn't work, we start from zero again. And because it didn't work, we start from zero. Well, it didn't work, no. It did work. You go safe. You beat massive teams away from home. You went to a cup final. So why it didn't work? Going back, which is the best season of uh, Sander in the last 10 years? Yeah. 15 years. Well, it's simple. So the, at least, 
try to be consistent with this best season. <laughs> now, the, all those things I was saying inside, that doesn't help you. Again, you say the truth. Nobody wants to hear the truth. Nobody. I'm not going to say name, but nobody. So you cannot go through life accepting things and accepting things and saying, it doesn't matter. No, it does matter. Because the day I go suck, I go suck. I had to get my pack everything with my family and get down to London like you've been, you know, pushed away from something that you thought would be your place for the next five years. But it's football. And uh, some people are talking naturally. I don't. I don't because it hurts. And it hurts what happened after, obviously, more than that. That what I told you that my first, the first season of Sunderland in is, is incredible, absolutely incredible. It's amazing to watch. I recommend it to anyone anywhere in the world who wants to know about football and especially Sunderland. Now I, I want to touch on the Newcastle win. It's in James's part in the December of that year, one one nil, and that is you know famous for you and your assistant, you know being on your knees on the touchline celebrating the Sunderland fans' 90th minute winner. That was probably your final sort of big moment as Sunderland manager, is that fair to say? Would you agree with that? Yes, yes. Yeah, but I, I, like I said to you, things, things have happened for a reason and they've been happening for two or three months. You don't get to the second, second moment in one second, you know. Uh, things that develop slowly into something that is going to happen. Uh, I, think, I think that game is, again, another key moment in my... Totally different to the other ones. The game is tight. It's difficult. Anything can happen at any time. It could be any goal. But obviously, away from home, against the biggest rivals, last minute, scoring the winning goal. Oh, my God. Dream, no? Uh, absolutely fantastic. You know, I was still believing on, on earning a little bit of my power, if you can say. You know, when we push for Jermaine Defoe to come and, and do a deal with the Josie Altidore and and really trying to manage everything possible to achieve things in an easier manner, uh, bringing as cheap as possible Liam Bricka to, to help us with the centre midfielder after we lost key. It was only Lee Cattermall and it wasn't the same having someone to compete with him and, and so many issues, okay? Uh, if you remember, we, we, we signed uh, Revelier. Yeah, from Lyon. It was 34, 35, absolutely top professional. Because we were trying to find solutions from where you cannot find it. So it became more and more difficult to really achieve, you know, things like, okay, if you sign five players in a season, four has to be spot on. If you make more, more than one mistake, you've got a problem. Now, if you make three or four from five, you're dead. You go down. So the, the risk of the signings, they're becoming more and more difficult to take because it was, it was always a hard, hard work to get the right player because of the money, because of the situation of the club, because of what's going on, because of everything. So it, it became more and more difficult. And that's what probably later on, uh, the Vimois paid the price, you know, going down. What was so special about getting Jermaine Defoe at Sunderland? Because I imagine as a manager, that's the kind of signing which really gets you excited. I knew him. I knew him uh, from Tottenham. I knew how, you know, incredible he's in front of all. I knew that getting him, we needed to start working on changing the shape of the team because we need to play with two strikers and no more 4-3-3. I knew that that would take certain time, so we done a, a few sessions. The players, they didn't even realize that, by the way. That was a funny thing. You know, I was trying things in training that to one day get to the possibility to say, OK, we're going to play now either 4-4-2 or 5-3-2, you know, like uh, probably 5 because with uh, Patrick Van Arnold, it was only a way to play 5 and 4 is... 
you know, his strength is you not know, going backwards. Uh, so it was better in a five. But so we needed to work on those things uh, because it's not just you get a player up front and system and say, okay, all the best, boom, new system, <laughs> play. Uh, but uh, we didn't have the right amount of time to get into that new uh, shape, if we can call it, because the results were so bad that uh, we couldn't practically recover. I mean, uh, if you think about it, we, we got beat by QPR, and then when Aston Villa came, we were done and dusted, really. Looking at that, I mean, we beat Burnley at home 2-0, and then after that point, you know, drew against Swansea, lost against QPR. There was the Bradford game on that pitch, which I don't want to call a football pitch, but it was. There was a West Brom game, went away at Manchester United and lost, drew away at Hull, and then the 4-0 defeat against Aston Villa. Did you feel like the end was coming at that point or were you surprised when you know they decided to make a change to, to be honest there were no rumors sometimes when you're in a job sometimes there is rumors uh sometimes they are not i i was i was feeling that something was not the same inside the club daily so uh, there were many issues around the club as well we went through the situation with adam johnson you know we were through certain losses that we were not expecting to lose like a the QPR game, so obviously it was a little bit of tension. After Aston Villa game, uh, it, it was so unusual, you know, from us, because you said in, in the beginning we were not winning games in the beginning, but we were very, very difficult to beat, that considering four in the first half, if I'm not wrong, no, we, it, it's like saying we gave up, you know, something like that. What, what, what happened there? What, what was that? So... When, when the news they, on Monday, when they called me to, to tell me that they would change the, the manager, it, it wasn't a big surprise. It wasn't, okay? And, and sometimes I say to, to the clubs, I think it's a good decision, even if it's against me. I didn't say that, but I mean it now, no? Because you need something to change, because there is something that is not working. And if you don't react quickly, maybe you go down, if you know what I mean. Uh, even if we were not on the bottom three, the, the situation was very tight. Um, so it's can you even if it's disappointing you understand why I don't know if I explain myself you, you understand why they need to change okay uh, which is a shame because I, I swear I changed flat for a house I was you know bringing even my dogs up from London yeah everything because I was thinking okay we can make something big in here but uh, it wasn't possible. Uh, like I said, I'm not going to put any excuses now. How were you told that you were let go? Did the owner get in touch with you or was it someone else? Yeah, the owner, yes. I was, after training, Monday morning, they called me to go to the board and I knew. <laughs> when you go up, yeah, you know. You know. It, and Dick Advocate was appointed just the following day. Did that make you feel a bit disappointed because obviously... You imagine there must have been talking to Dick Advocate possibly even before the Aston Villa game. Were you upset by that, or do you just do you just accept that's a part of the game? To be to be honest, it's, it's part of the game. Uh, I, I understand what I uh, I would prefer is if after the game Aston Villa, they, they think they need to change. If if I was in the other side, if I put myself in the other side in the club side, I, I will sack you Sunday, Saturday night. I, I won't wait until I talk to someone. And I know he's coming to tell you. Uh, you understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think the club needs to wait to get in contact with someone and arrange things for, to sack the manager because that kind of creates 
this situation that you're asking me that is happening too many times in football. Uh, for example, I make you an example. I remember, I remember one day uh, there were rumors about Jokanovic maybe leaving Fulham. Uh, my agent called me and said, do you, do you want me to call Fulham? I said, no. He said, why? I know Joga. I know Jokanovic. I play with him. He's a friend of mine. You cannot call. I don't want anyone to, you know, any, any time in his life, Joga to think that was trying to get his job behind his back. Yeah. I would prefer to call Joker myself and say, Joker, listen, just in case for you to know, I'm going to put my name forward just in case, you know, like something like that. I won't, I won't do it anyway. But, and we didn't do it. And the following week, they sacked Jokanovic at 11 o'clock and at 11 o'clock, Ranieri was a manager. And then you ask yourself, I was late. Maybe I was an idiot, you know? <laughs> yeah. But well, so what I do, and I can tell everybody listening, if, if I know the manager well, who is at the club, I don't let my agent to talk to them. If I don't know him personally, or if I don't care, then if my agent, the one he needs to talk, so I'm not, I'm not getting involved. But uh, I think it's part of the game now. And uh, for example, the Dicanio situation, no. The Dicanio situation, my, my first contact with Delhi Short, it was during the week after when he got sacked. So before they play Man United, I think it was. Uh, but it was already gone. Uh, Brighton as well. I cut as well. Betis, no, it was during the manager, but the manager declared he was leaving at the end of the season. So I went there the last week of the previous season. Bordeaux, uh, Bordeaux, the, the person who contacted me, he said, uh, if we lose Sunday, maybe we change manager. You know, they maybe always help. And they lost, and then on Monday they called me, and I was, I was on holidays. I, can, <laughs> I flew back from South America to, to France. So, like I said, it's depending, but it's part of the game. I think, I think it's the job of the, of the agents. But, uh, you know, if, if I had a relation with a sport director, the ones I, I would love to have that, it's not easy, of, of, of very close relation with the sport director, very close, you know, like, I call it like, like if it's part of the family. Uh, I would love the sport director to come and say, you know who called me? The agent of uh, whatever. So when you meet him, you can tell him, ah, you were looking for my job, you, eh? <laughs> but... Uh, no, normally the, the sport directors, they don't tell you that. They keep it for themselves. So, final thoughts before I let you go, Gus. It's just over five years since you've been Sunderland manager. How do you look back on that time? And in terms of your experience as a player and a manager, where does your time at Sunderland rank? Well, f- f- first and most, I, I, without being any kind of a big head, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm proud because I achieved what they asked me to achieve. Okay, that's key. Eh? I yeah. think people take that by very lightly. It's key. They ask me, stay up, and a little bit more, be Newcastle, and we play Newcastle three times, and we stay up. So, and we left. Okay, like I said, you probably deserve it, but that football when it doesn't work. So, uh, it was the year and a half that they had as a coach. I'm talking now, not as a player, as a coach that had more uh, repercussions worldwide. Being a manager in the Premier League is incredible. Uh, everyone in the world is, is watching Premier League. So when you do something important like we did at Sunderland in my first year, the repercussions are tremendous. I mean, incredible. You cannot imagine. People from all over the world will contact you because they watch the game. And obviously, it's top. You know, you are, you are a privileged person. You are one of 20, you know. When you're a football player in the Premier League, you are one of 500. But manager, you are one of 20 only. There is 20 places. You can be one of the 20 or you are not in. So 
it's a very privileged time. Uh, but I, th I think the key is that, uh, you know, we've done luckily or whatever you call it or proudly uh, what we've been asked to. Finland's current situation, uh, I don't know if you keep track of what's happening at the club yes. at the minute, but the, the owners are trying to sell and there's now been a, a sort of portrayal of the fans that they're difficult. And do you think that Sunderland fans can be difficult or do you think that that's just a deflection tactic to take blame off the current owners? I, th I think with the, the Sunderland fans, they are very passionate and with passionate people, you need to be honest. Okay, you cannot say everything, it's true. I agree with that. You know, you cannot tell them everything that happened at the club. But there is certain things that you need to be more direct with the Sunderland fans. I, th I think they will understand. And if they don't understand, then they will, like you say just now, they, they are the problem. You know, so they shouldn't. I, I, I think the Sunderland fans, when they want, is that honesty. Honesty of everything is going on in the club and, and knowing that they need football at the city. They do need that. So you need to do everything possible to, you know, to, to create the team that they deserve because it's a different city without football, with any doubt. So I, I will be just straightforward. Uh, you know, like I said, you spend the time that you need to spend. Pick a strategy, okay? Your goal is to get up, a strategy. Then the, the, the people to make that strategy possible and hold it. Consistency is bringing with work and with the, you know, consistency with the, with the work done many, many times, many months with the same people. And not changing and changing and changing owners, changing coaches and changing players and changing owners. And that's impossible. That is the worst way to get back. What's your assessment about the direction that Sunderland have headed in? And not even since you've necessarily left, but the, the last few years when we fell at the championship and we've fallen in League One and where, you know, we didn't even get in the playoffs this past season. Can you believe that the club's in this situation or do you, did you see this potentially happening when you were manager here? Well, I... I, I I have to be honest, I didn't see it going down to League One. Because the, the, the team that went down, if you look at the squad, it was good enough to top half. Okay, That's my opinion. It didn't work for whatever reason. Football is incredible. Yeah? You can have, you know, you, you pick the best manager in the world and you put him in a football team and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work for many reasons. Okay, But I, I knew that they were taking too many risks to go down to the championship. I knew it and I told them. So when it happened, it was no surprise for me when Sunderland went down to the championship. I didn't expect the second year going down straight away to Liwa. That was a shock. It was disappointed. And I, and I think it was a, a consequence of all the years they were doing so badly that they didn't uh, realize that when, when it hit you, it hit you harder, you know, because you don't, you don't want to see the truth. And uh, so... It was no recovery. It was no change of mentality. It was no. They were still thinking that we are Sunderland. Nothing can happen to us. Yes, it does. So the second, the second uh, year, the, the 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 championship year going down, it was a shock. It was sad. It was disappointed. Uh, I didn't expect that. But the first one, yes, it was coming. It was a matter of time. The first one. Yes, I told you when I before I left, and I, I can tell you yeah. now that was a. It was a matter of time. What would you do differently if you were the manager of Sunderland in League One? Obviously, you've been at this level before. What do you need in a, a squad to get out of this division? Well, you need the convincement between the staff and the players. Convincement means convincement. They need to be all in the same direction. And you need to have a way of playing. Whatever way you choose, but it has to be clear. Clear. Uh, you can pick uh, powerful players and make it difficult for the opposition through, you know, 
crosses or through low balls, the whatever yeah, they you know, they said West Brom went up this year without being for me the best team in the championship, but they were very, very strong. Very difficult to play against West Brom. Or then you have a, a system which is different to the rest, like Leeds, you know, when it's completely different and it was maintained for two years, even if they didn't achieve in the first year. Yeah. You know, they, they maintain that and they, they try to improve it a little bit. Uh, so you have to have a way. And when I look the two or three games I looked Sunderland this year, this past year, uh, it looked it looked to me that it was another team in League One. A few names, but another team. It's, it's not like I say, okay, Sunderland played this way. Clear. And now we're gonna add, because if I say to you, maybe you can tell me better, you watch probably more games than me. What was the idea of uh, Sunderland this year? Uh, Counter-attack football, pressing high, keeping the ball, long ball, second ball, set pieces, defensive. Yeah. Which one was? <laughs> I would probably say it was a tried three at the back, wing backs, long ball, played with a target man. Some, I mean, it was inconsistent. That would be the word I'd use. Now, that's perfect. That's something spectacular for me, information. Because now, the players that you need to bring, they need to be specific players to play that system. Okay? So now, if you bring me a fullback who goes up and down, and it's good in 1v1 situation and good crosses, I said to you, well done, Sandala. If you bring a top uh, striker who you can hold the ball and for that division score 20 goals, I would say to you, very good, Sandala. Now, if you're going to give me a fullback that doesn't go up, so then you sign in a fullback for no reason whatsoever. So that's the difference to make sure that you bring in a specific qualities to play in a specific system who is going to be maintained to get the consistency to go up. That's a football club. We can talk after the season starts. <laughs> yeah. I see why it's done. Last one. If the if, if things change in the future, would you ever consider being a Sunderland manager again or do you think you've, you've had enough time in the, the madhouse of the North East? No, no doubt because uh, when it's passion behind a club like the fans they have, it's uh, perfect for us. And, and there is something that we didn't finish. Like I said to you, uh, me, uh, it took me oh, a year and a half to convince the Brighton players that it was a different way of playing football. And when I left, they love it. Okay? They love it to a point that now they need to bring certain coaches that they play a certain way because we, they, they understand football that way now, the Brighton fans. And, and when you achieve that with the fans, it's, it's the best feeling for us. For a manager, because especially because it worked then. If it doesn't work, no. But what I mean, I, I know it can work. But for that, you need, like I said to you, certain group of players with certain uh, atmosphere at the club, believe, understanding, the second team playing in a similar way. No, exactly the same. Same ideas with the players, making sure that we know, you know, the transition and signing very, very specific players per positions to play that kind of football they want to play. And I'm sure you're going to get better. And if it's not enough, next year you go up. I put my money on it. But the problem is that uh, it's not up to me to do it. It's up to the club. They, want to, they have to want to do it in a certain way. Not just say, do it. That's the main thing. Do you still believe in miracles, Gus? Well, for sure. <laughs> I, I, I was not uh, a believer. I was not a believer in miracles because... You know, I know that sometimes, like they say, sometimes it happens, but I keep looking back, I keep looking about a video that is in YouTube, that, the miracle, and, and you keep looking about who, who we play against, and you keep looking at that table, how we go g- getting up, and, and the rest, they don't move. Do you see that? that the, the rest, it looks like the rest of the, te- the teams, they don't play. It's only us playing, 
and adding and adding. I know we had a couple of more games, but it's like we adding, 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 and we get through and we finish 14th. 14th. Yeah. I mean, if you tell me after Everton that we will finish 14th, like I said to the guy Sky, I mean, you're drinking bad. I mean, you're completely gone, drunk, because it was no way that that was possible to achieve. But miracle happens. Gus, thanks so much for giving us nearly two hours of your time. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, though. Thank you very much. Thank you, and all the best. Eh? You got me here for anything, okay? We, keep, we, we have a chat when the season starts. <laughs> A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.